Hey everyone, we're so glad that you are here for church today. If you're watching online or in person in the room, uh, man, we are so, so blessed to have you with us. Uh, we are continuing in our series, um, and we're kind of middle way, we're the middle way of the series, and our series right now is called Idols. And um, again, if you're listening on the podcast, the S is a dollar sign. And so in this series, we've been really talking about wealth, money, possessions, those kinds of things. And uh, I was wondering if, are you guys sick of this series yet already? You know, uh, this, this series is a, is a sensitive one. Obviously, it touches on uh, very personal things. And um, Pastor Jonathan has done, been doing such a great job over the past couple of weeks as he's led us into this very, uh, very difficult topic for us to discuss. Um, what I've noticed about this series is unlike other series, I feel like there's a lot of chatter in response to these messages. You know, uh, uh, in other series, we, we talk about all kinds of stuff, but for some reason, people are talking about this series and asking questions and wondering about this series. And, and it's probably because it has to do with something as tangible and personal as money and wealth and kind of how we struggle with that and how we understand that. But, um, and, and that's a, an amazing thing. And I'm actually super excited about that. Like, whether there's, you know, people are angry and upset or annoyed or offended, like, that's a good thing. If, if you're responding to the words shared at church or if you're, you're, you're agreeing with it and you're just kind of struggling how to, uh, you're not sure how to apply it, that's an amazing, amazing thing. And so, so I'm really thankful for what God is doing through this series. Um, now, we're going to move into a very practical message this week. So the last two messages, Pastor Jonathan has been, I don't know, like he's been on fire, amen? Like, man, it was, it's been so good the way he's dealt with this very difficult topic. And, and I don't know, I forgot if he really teased this up, but this whole series idea is his idea. So as, as part of his like training and mentorship, you know, a lot of times I kind of like come up with the idea and we work through it. But this time I said, Pastor Jonathan, for this next series, you come up with everything. You come up with the whole topic and you break it down and you tell me what to talk about. You know, so that's kind of how we kind of broke it down. And so um, the, the two things that people are talking about in response to the series is number one, yeah, like how do we apply this? How do we struggle with this? But also I've been hearing a lot of like, man, Pastor Jonathan is just like killing it with this series. And so I'm just so thankful to see that and, and hear that. So let me give a, a real quick recap of some of the basic points of the last few weeks that he's shared with us. So um, if you haven't been here this is what you got to know. This series is really about establishing and developing a spiritual and biblical relationship with money. A spiritual and biblical relationship with money. And so this is what he's told us. That first and foremost, that money or wealth is a tool. Like biblically, that's how the Bible and the writers of the Bible saw things like money and wealth. It is a tool. It is a means, not an end. So that, that's, what, what he, that's the first thing he wants us to understand. And also last week, that giving is supposed to require faith. That when you give, it is a moment of faith and worship. And that's challenging for us. And he talked to us last week about how we can kind of do that. Now, like I said, um, we're going to get pretty practical. This message is like not a very inspirational message. This is like, I don't think you guys are going to walk away like your hearts are touched by today's message. You're going to walk away thinking, I shouldn't have come to church today because now you're telling me to do stuff and making me feel things I don't really, really want to feel. And then he ended with this question, or actually he began with this question. How much would you need to give for it to change your lifestyle? 
How much money would you need to give away to church or to charities, to people, in order for it to change your lifestyle? Really, really tough question. Um, but as we move into today's message, I feel like most of you want to do the right thing. Most of you are hearing these words and you're like, okay, I want to honor God with my money. I want to be faithful. I don't want to hoard and I don't want to like, you know, I, I want to live according to the principles of scripture as it relates to my money. But it's, it's hard. And so some of the questions that I'm hearing, the chatter is questions like this. And this is some of the questions that you've probably asked. All right, like how far do we take this? How far do we take this, right? We got to give, and we got to give and give, and, and how, how far do we go? Jesus was technically homeless, so what, we're all supposed to be homeless? You've probably asked that question before. How far are we supposed to take this? Maybe another question is, should I feel guilty about the things that I have? Should I feel guilty about the way I've used my money in the past? Should I feel guilty about what I wear or what I drive or the house I live in? Should I feel guilty? I feel kind of guilty. Is that the right thing? Is that the wrong thing? Am I supposed to enjoy the blessings of, of the work and, and the, the labor that I've put in? And is it not okay to celebrate that and spend on the things that, that, that are, are, are good for me and my family? Like, you know, can I enjoy the stuff that I have? Can I spend money on things that I like? Should I feel bad about it? Another question that I've kind of been hearing is, so, so how much should I save? Is saving okay? Is saving a sign of lack of faith or, or what? And if saving is okay, how much should I save? At what point is it too much? And Pastor Jonathan ended last week's message with that question. The question of how much is too much money. He said, the moment that money leads you to not trust in God, that's your dollar figure. That's when you have too much money. It's like, oh, so what, what am I supposed to do with that? How much is that? I don't really know. So these are some of the questions that, that we've really been struggling with, and, and I've been kind of working through in my mind as well. Now, the challenge is that to answer these questions and to figure out what we should all do in response, and I believe that all of us should respond in one way or another, and that's kind of up to you and God how you're going to respond to this message and how you might adjust your lifestyle or adjust your view of money, we all got to respond. But in order to do that, there's a lot of, of things we have to understand, a lot of information we need. So for example, in order to answer these questions, we have to understand biblical values. What are the biblical values when it pertains to money? We have to understand our past circumstances and our current circumstances. You have to kind of figure out where you are right now, where you've been, but you also have to think about where do I want to be in the future those things all kind of affect the way we answer these questions and, and determine and guide the way we respond to these messages. But there's a third category of things that we have to really, really understand in order to answer these questions faithfully and honestly and then be able to do the honest and faithful thing. And the question is, is what are my motivations? Like we have to understand biblical values in our current circumstances with money and all that kind of stuff and our future goals, but we also under, have to understand our true motivations, our hearts, and really get deep down and dig down to figure out what is it that I truly believe? What are my true values? What are my true desires? What are my, how do I truly understand kind of reality? And what's hard about this is what we're going to talk about today. Why this is very difficult for all of us to do. So with that, let's pray and get into today's message. Father in heaven, 
Lord, I pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to lead me and to lead us. Father, you would give me the words and the concepts and the communication ability, and you'd give each and every one of us a listening ear and an open heart, Father, to hear your words. In your name we pray. Amen. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus shares a fairly well-known parable if you grew up in the church, and he brings up an element or an aspect of money that often goes unnoticed or that we don't really talk about that much. He gives this parable, it's called the parable of the sower. And basically, if you're not familiar with it, the parable is about a farmer who's spreading seed to plant in his farm, and he spreads seeds on different kinds of soil, and based on the type of soil and what is there, the seed either grows or doesn't grow. And he talks about different scenarios, and then he explains the parable as the, 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 the soils are really different kinds of hearts. And this is what he says about one particular soil in Mark chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Okay, so this, this seed he throws out, there's, it, it's going to grow, and it wants to grow, and the word of God wants to grow, and conviction wants to grow, but there's weeds, and there's thorns and stuff, and so it can't grow, right? So, like, that's a big deal. And then later on, the disciples ask, hey, what was that all about? I don't really understand. And pay attention to what Jesus says specifically about money and wealth here. He says, as he interprets this and explains, the seed that fell among the thorns represent others who hear God's word. Okay, good. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. This phrase where it talks about the, the, the lure of wealth, it actually refers not just to the, the draw of wealth, but he uses in other versions, other translations, specifically the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Jesus brings up something about money that we don't always really think about, that wealth can deceive you. Wealth, your wealth, or your pursuit of wealth, or your lack of wealth, can deceive you and lie to you. Now, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about this concept very much. Like, how has wealth like, what kind of lies does wealth tell me? What kind of lies or deceptions does wealth offer us so that we could believe in something that is untrue? But we have to wonder if we are under the deceitful influence of wealth. It seems like a neutral thing, right? And we talked about how money is a tool, and it is neutral in and of itself. But every tool, with every tool that you have, there is a potential for danger, for example, a knife, although it may be used for righteous and good purposes, it's still sharp. A knife is still sharp. A hammer is still hard, and a screwdriver is still, you know, like pokey, and it can still hurt you. If you misuse it, if you, if you don't tune it carefully, it can still damage you and the people around you. And money is the same way. It's a tool, but there's an element of it that is deceitful. And so you... We all should ask this question, and, and I'm not thinking that everyone is under this influence, but I think every one of us need to ask this question every now and again. Has my money deceived me? Has my money deceived me? Has it skewed my vision of reality? 
Has it skewed my vision of myself? Has my money told me things about who I am and my life and the people around me that are simply untrue? Has my money told me uh, about what makes a life a good life? Is, is it deceitful? Is it true? Have I been deceived by my own wealth? And the reason why this is important to get out from the deceitfulness of wealth, to make sure that we are not under the influence of wealth, the deceitful influence of wealth, is that we will not be able to develop a biblical relationship with money if we remain under the deceitful influence of wealth. So that's the question that we're going to deal with today. Has your money, has your lack of money, and has your desire or pursuit of money deceived you? And so I want you to be asking yourself this question, has my money deceived me throughout this message today? This is uh, really difficult because some of these things that I'm going to share with you, the deceptions of wealth, are so commonplace and so understood that at first they just seem like laws of reality. And it's not really necessarily a lie but as we begin to uncover the truth behind it, I'm hoping that you will see that maybe we've, we've believed in, in the deceitfulness and the lies that wealth has told us. So when it comes to wealth, the first thing I want us to understand about the deceitfulness of wealth is that wealth can easily confuse our motivations. This is super, super important. This is why I'm starting with this one. Wealth can easily confuse our motivations. And when it comes to wealth and money and giving and generosity, your motivation is so key in the thought process. Your motivation is so key. I would even argue that your motivation is the difference between giving as an act of faith and worship versus giving as a bill payment or a tax, like Pastor Jonathan was telling us last week. I think it might be the motivation, the heart, and the desires under all that that really make the difference between an act of worship and just simply a bill payment. So we have to wonder about our motivations. But wealth can easily confuse our motivations. What wealth does, what money does, is it enables us and it equips us, and that's key, it equips us to cover up and hide our true motivations. Wealth gives us the ability to cover up our true intentions, to hide our true values. And we, it gives us the ability and the, the, the skill to replace and cover up our true desires with noble desires, logical reasons, rationale, to make it all so that it all makes sense so that we can, at the end of the day, justify what we have done. It is so Wealth can easily confuse our motivations. We, we know, we say, this is why I purchased what I purchased. This is why I saved what I saved. This is why I gave what I gave. And they're all great reasons, logical, makes a ton of sense. But wealth can easily confuse why you did that. Because if you step back and you dig deep, you know your true heart in this matter. And you know the, the reasons you said versus the reasons you actually hold. And so we have to be really careful in understanding what is our true motivations when it comes to wealth. Why do I spend what I spend? Why do I work this hard? Why do I save this much? Why do I give? What is your motivation and what is your heart? 
And wealth will tell you it's all kinds of things. And money will tell you it's all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, we each need to wrestle with and figure out what is my true motivation in all of this. This uh, series, when we began talking about it, like it took a while for us to decide that this is what we wanted to do. Because a, a series on money is difficult. I want you guys to understand, this is difficult. Us standing up here talking about money and wealth and all that stuff, it's hard to do. But I was thinking about it. The reason it's hard to do is not because it's complicated. It's actually not complicated, guys. As you look at scripture, as you look at the teachings of Jesus, it's actually very simple. Jesus commands his followers, if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to, you are commanded to, give to the church and give to the poor. It's actually that. It's actually very simple. You have to give to the church, give to the poor. And sometimes those are the same things, right? But you are commanded, we are commanded as followers of Jesus to give to the church, give to the poor. It's simple. What makes it complicated is motivations, hearts, desires, values. That's what actually makes it complicated. It's not what am I supposed to do? What percentage am I supposed to give? That's not what makes it difficult to talk about money. What makes it difficult is because it is very sensitive because of how closely it is connected to your heart. Money and your heart are super, super connected. And Jesus recognizes it. And this is why Jesus says one of the most famous sayings that he said about money. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus understood that there is a strong connection between wealth and our money and our hearts. And this is why it's hard to talk about it. Because as we talk about money... It's easy to confuse that and connect that to the status and condition of our hearts. If we condemn the use of money in certain ways, in a lot of ways, we take it personally and take it as an attack against our hearts. But Jesus also understood that the heart and money are so intimately connected. But let's look at this verse in Jeremiah 17. He says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So if our hearts are already deceitful, and then you throw money in the picture, we could understand how difficult it is to be able to understand our hearts and our true motivations behind what we do, what we say, how we spend, what we save. But if we can't understand our motivations, if we can't understand the reasons behind all the things that we do when it, came, when it pertains to our wealth and money, we will never get to a place to honestly develop a biblical relationship with money. So when it comes to your money, your wealth, your relationship to money, has your money deceived you with regards to your motivations? It's very important that we consider that. And it's an uncomfortable process but you have to figure out, have I been lying to myself? Have I been lying to myself about why I need the things that I need, why I want the things that I want, why I need the bank account that I have, why I need this, why I need that? Do I really understand? If you don't, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to come in. We need to walk with the Holy Spirit in examining our hearts, discover what our true motives, intentions, and desires are. Only then will we begin to develop a biblical relationship with money. So that's the first area that we need to understand that wealth can be deceitful. It has to do with your motivations and your heart. And it can really easily confuse it. The second one is this. 
Excessive saving is wise. Now, I, I put the word excessive there, which kind of automatically indicates that this is kind of a negative thing. But biblically, saving is wise, right? In the book of Proverbs, it talks about how it's good to save and it's wise to save and all that. But excessive saving, according to Scripture, is something Jesus condemns. Excessive saving. What is excessive saving? Let me define it for you by sharing Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is preaching, and this dude just interrupts Jesus' sermon to say, Hey, Jesus, can you tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance? You know, it's like kind of out of nowhere, and this guy wants to use Jesus to get his brother to do something, give him money. And so he, he yells this kind of in the, in the middle of his sermon, and then Jesus says, No, I'm not going to do that. And then this is what Jesus' commentary is. He says, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Like, I got so much stuff. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Last verse. This is how, and this is Jesus talking again, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So what is Jesus saying in this parable about saving? Saving is a good thing. We understand it to be righteous. In, in the Bible, it talks about how good it is and wise it is to save. And, and I'm sure many of you save. And if, I met, if you met people who are like not saving any money, you'd be like, you really need to save. And all that stuff seems like a really, really good thing. So what is Jesus saying when it comes to saving? What he's saying here is that there is a Version of saving, and the motivation, once again, is key. Why did this man save? What was the reason for this man's saving? Jesus explains when he says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. So in Jesus' mind, excessive saving or saving motivated by greed is something Jesus condemns. Saving is good. Saving is wise. But if you save out of a heart of greed... Jesus condemns that. There's another teaching that, that we often use to teach something else, something else when actually money is, is, a, is a big part of what this parable is teaching. Jesus teaches a parable in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the parable of the talents. And I think we get confused because it has the word talent. And so we think of this, we think of this, uh, this parable as teaching about your skills and your gifts and your giftedness. And, and that is true. And in this parable, Jesus teaches that there was a, a, a landowner who went away and he gave to his servants five, uh, different amounts of money. One servant he gave five talents, and talent is a, is a unit of money or an amount of money. In one servant he gives three, and one servant he gives one. He comes back and he looks at all the ones and says, What did you do with the money that I gave you? And then one person says, I invested it. Here's, here's, uh, here's what I got. I, I doubled it. And he's like, Awesome. To the guy who he gave three, same thing. And then let's go to the guy he gave one to. The guy who gave one, he doesn't invest it. Instead, this is what he says. He says, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So 
I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Again, we talk about this parable in terms of like, oh, your skills and your giftedness. You got to use it for the church. You got to use what God gave you. And that is absolutely true. But we cannot deny the fact that this parable centers around money. Talent is an amount of money. And so let's not forget that that is a key element of this. So to the one who, to the person who was given one, Jesus or the master calls him a wicked and lazy servant. Why? He didn't lose the money. Essentially, he saved the money. But what was the motivation? What was the motivation? The motivation was fear. And so what Jesus is teaching in these two parables is that saving motivated by greed and saving motivated by fear are what Jesus condemns. So you have to, we have to think about this. Why do we save the money we save? Jesus does not want us to save the money we make in order to just have a lot of money. That is saving, excessive saving motivated by greed. And he does not want us to save motivated by by fear. Now that's hard. Like how do we wrestle with that? And that's kind of your job. Okay, how do I not save out of greed? And how do I not save out of fear? How do I save righteously and faithfully? That's something that you have to figure out. You and I have to figure out. All we can tell you is that when it comes to money and a biblical relationship with money, saving is good, but saving motivated by greed, not good. And saving motivated by fear, not good either. Jesus condemned those two things. So when it comes to the deceitfulness of wealth, we have to understand first and foremost that it confuses our motivations. We have to figure out what our motives are when it comes to wealth. Then when it comes to saving, we have to understand that the motivations of greed and fear are condemnable by Jesus in Scripture. And the last, the last deception or the last lie, this is the most foundational one. This is the one that kind of changes everything, but this is the one that is the most believed. This is the one that is the most difficult to change our minds around. And for those of you guys who didn't grow up in the church, this is going to sound really odd to you. The last lie or last deception of wealth that I want to share with you that we see in this world is this. Your wealth belongs to you. That's odd. What do you mean? My wealth, you're saying my wealth doesn't belong to me? Like, but I worked. I worked really hard. I worked many hours to earn what I earned. I, 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 I spent so much overtime. I, I, I busted my butt to get all this stuff. It's, what do you mean it's not my wealth? Whose is it then? How can, how, can, how can you tell me that? You don't know my job. You don't know what I've worked. You don't know what I've gone through. But this is a deception of wealth. That all this money that you have is all yours. It all belongs to you. That, is, that makes sense from a secular point of view, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's rational, it's reasonable, it's reasonable, it's logical. Unfortunately, it's not biblical. It's not biblical because this is what the Bible teaches as far as the source of your money and who your money really belongs to. This is what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand have produced this wealth for me. Totally makes sense, right? But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. 
is the biblical view of money and wealth is that your wealth doesn't belong to you. That your money is God. God has given you your wealth. This is the most fundamental perspective that we are called to have if we want to have a biblical relationship with money. And this is the most difficult one to change, that the, the dollars in your bank account, the dollars in your pocket don't belong to you. God says, everything is mine, and I've given this to you. And so the way he wants us to understand it is different. You, this wealth that you hold is not yours. What God wants you to understand is he's invested his wealth in you. That's how he wants you to see your money. God has invested his wealth, God's wealth, in you. It's kind of like you're a startup and God is a venture capitalist. He's investing his money into you because he believes of what you, in what you can do with that. But we got to understand it's not our money. It's not your money. If it's yours, if it is yours, and this is what wealth says, this money belongs to you, so you can do whatever you want with it. You can spend it, you can save it, you can waste it, you can do anything you want because it is yours. But the biblical view of money is that it is not yours. It is God's money that he has given you to manage, and then one day he's going to ask you a very uncomfortable question. And that question is going to be, what did you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with it? And that's a very, very uncomfortable question. To ask ourselves. But what we have to understand when it comes to wealth, the way God wants us to see it is that you are not the owner of your wealth, you are the manager of God's wealth. You are not the owner of your wealth, you are the manager of God's wealth. This is what we call the biblical concept of stewardship. Your wealth does not belong to you, your wealth is God's investment in you. And he wants to see you use that as a tool for the purpose of the kingdom. Now, some of you guys probably know this already. And you've heard this before. And like, yeah, I know my money isn't mine. That's why I give 10%. That's why I do the things I do. All that. But we have to understand this framework in order for us to establish and develop a biblical view of money. And how it guides our decisions in the future. And so I want to frame it this way. If this is the case, if you believe this, if you are a follower of Jesus and you believe, like, my money, that's not mine. God gave it to me. It's all grace. Like, it belongs to him. So I'm just returning a little bit to him every month. That's why I'm being generous. All that stuff. If you believe that, I want to frame this guiding principle in this way. And I think it's going to make it a little bit easier. And so this is where we're going to get real practical here. And it's not a perfect analogy. But it's a thought-provoking one. And it's a compelling one, as I felt like God gave this to me. When it comes to the use of your money... When it comes to saving and giving and all that stuff, this is what I'm starting to think. You are called to use the money you have the way you would want the church to use the money it has. Let's think about that. You are called to use the money you have in the way you would want the church to use the money it has. Why am I saying this? The purpose of the church is to further the kingdom of God. Right, to, to spread the love of Jesus, to further the kingdom of God. What's your purpose? If you are a believer, you share the same purpose as the church. 
If, you, if, if, if the purpose of the church is to further the kingdom of God and your purpose is to further the kingdom of God, you share the same purpose. So the goal of the church and the way the, the church uses funds should be similar or same as the way you use your funds. We essentially share the same purpose. And so in the same way that we would want, you would want the church, this organization, this building, this group of people, this leadership to use the money it has, the same principles can be applied to your life as well. For example, we understand here at the church, like we're not a business. We don't own a business. We, all the money this church has is due to the generosity of every single one of you, right? We understand that. This money that the church has in its bank account we know it's not the church's money. It's all of your guys, all of your generous contributions has, has provided for this church. So because of that, we are absolutely, leadership is very careful about how we use that money. We're like, it's not ours. We can't just spend it doing whatever. And you would expect that. And you would want that. And if you were concerned about the way the church was spending money, you would probably say something like, you have to respect that all this money is donated to you. You didn't earn this. You can't just do whatever you want with this. You are accountable. You would understand that because the church, the money of the church doesn't really belong to the church. It came from everywhere else. We didn't earn it. It came from somewhere else. In the same way, if you believe in the spirit of stewardship, all your money came from someone else, somewhere else as well. And so in the same thinking, in the same line of thinking, as you think about how the church would spend its money, you would think, I want the church to, to use the funds wisely. I want the church to, to spend it on ministry, to further the kingdom of God, and, and to fund projects that would do that. I would, want, I, I would want them to do it. But also, the church needs to be responsible and pay for you know, the bills and, and keep the lights on and fix the roof. We just finally fixed the roof, so that's why there's no more leaks and stuff like that. It's going to be fantastic. You expect the church to pay for those things, but at the same time, you would expect the church to move in faith, wouldn't you? You also wouldn't want the church to not invest the money you gave just so that it can fix roofs and fix leaks and fix the walls. You would want the church to spend its money on ministry projects to further the kingdom of God, to further the mission of the church. You would want that. At the same time, you would want the church to, to save for the future, save for any, any issues and have a rainy day fund to, to cover the things that it needs to cover if anything should happen but you wouldn't want the church to excessively save, would you? Like you wouldn't want the church, you, because you didn't donate to the church so that the church would have a lot of money in its bank account, right? Nobody did that. Nobody gave to the church because I just want the church to have lots and lots and lots and lots of money. No, you gave to the church for a purpose. You gave to the church to use it for good and to do things with it to further the kingdom of God. So if that's true for the church, is that not also true for each one of us if we share the same purpose? We, we, we have said that, that the, the ultimate command, the simple command when it comes to our money is we need to give to the poor. We give to the church and give to the poor. You would want the church to do that as well. You would want the church to give to the poor and give to the needy. You would want that. And so in the same way, we are called to do that as well. So it's not a perfect analogy. But if next time you're thinking about what you should do with your money, you should think about it in these terms and just allow this. Maybe it's not the sole reason why you do it, 
But allow this question to come into your mind as you're thinking and making decisions when it comes to money and what you should do with your money. If the church did it, if the church used this money that way, would I be okay with it? That's what we need to think about as we begin to develop this, this biblical view of money. So I think we got to understand that, that we share the same purpose. So whatever measure of judgment or accountability you have on the church, you need to place it. We need to place it on ourselves as well. I think if we think about our funds in those same terms, it will help give us clarity and guidance as to how we respond and deal with the wealth God has entrusted to each and every one of us. Now at the end, it's really simple. As we close this, this message and as we go into the next one, the final one, last message, what it really comes down to when it comes down to your money is what the, the, the writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. What it comes down at the end of the day is honor. Not necessarily obedience. Yes, we give out of obedience. Yes, we give because God told us to do it. But at the end of the day, the question I want you to ask yourselves is, do I honor God with the use of my money? Do I honor God with my wealth? Do I honor him? It's, it's a, a totally different mindset than what do I have to give? What is the bare minimum required of me? Instead, God wants us to flip our thinking to think, how can I honor him with my wealth? How can I honor him with the wealth that he has entrusted to me? So as we close, I just want to remind you guys, ask yourselves that question. Have I been deceived by my wealth? Have I believed things about me and the world and things and the future that are simply not true because wealth has lied to me? Has, has the wealth lied to me about my motivations and tricked me into thinking that these are the reasons, these good reasons are the reasons why I do what I do? Has he deceived me? Has, it, has my wealth deceived me into thinking that all of this is mine and I can use it the way I want, but now I'm really understanding now that all the things that I own, all that I have, all my capital has been given to me by God. It is a sign of God's grace and mercy. And he's entrusted and invested his wealth in me. How can I honor him with my wealth? How can I honor him with the wealth that I have? Now next week is the last message of this series. And I know there's probably still lots of questions and we're not really sure what to do with it. And guess what? Pastor Jonathan is going to answer all of those questions next week. He's going to figure everything out and you're going to be completely changed. Blown away next week. Well, I don't know. Actually, I don't know what he's going to do, but I know that God has a plan for what he wants to do with you. I know that God has a, a vision for your life and a vision for the, what you possess, a vision for your wealth, all that stuff. And I'm hoping that as we come back, we can together as a community wrestle with all of this together so that we can move forward with a more spiritual and more biblical view and relationship with money. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for uh, the challenging message that you've given us, Lord. God, I pray that your words would have shine through, God. Um, I pray that our hearts would be open to your leading, that you would shift our minds, that you'd uncover the lies and deceptive deceitfulness of wealth, and you'd help us, Lord, to understand the truth. But Father, more importantly, I pray that you would give us the courage, the courage, the courage, the faith, the trust 
to make any changes, any changes that you have put on our hearts, that we would actually begin to make those changes. But Lord, we need your courage. We need faith to do that. So Lord, we ask for those things. In your name we pray. Amen.